And all God's people said, amen. I'm glad that you chose to start the, the year off, as Stacy said, the decade off, right, with uh, in church. And so uh, how many of you um, are excited to be here? All right. Maybe we need to figure out what excitement means. How many of you are excited to be here? All right. Yeah. Hey, I, 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 think, it's, I think it's just okay uh, to be as excited to be here as you might be at a playoff game today, right? And uh, we have more to celebrate than at a football game, don't we? And uh, we're thankful that Jesus is alive. Amen. We're going to celebrate today, and we're going to look back on the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But that really wouldn't be that valuable if he didn't come back to life. If he just died and didn't have power over death and the grave and sin, it really wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be Good Friday except for the resurrection, would it? And so we're thankful for the resurrection. Last week, Pastor Nathan taught on John chapter 13. And John 13 was the beginning of this teaching that ends in John 17. We're going to look at John 17 in a minute, but I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 26. And in John chapter 13... Uh, remember, as Nathan preached last week, Jesus illustrated, he, he gave an object lesson to his disciples. So the context here is the disciples are in the upper room. You guys have all seen the painting, right? So they're in the upper room. It's called the Last Supper. And what they are doing in the upper room is they are celebrating Passover. And as they are celebrating Passover, Jesus begins this teaching. So if you want to read this teaching, it's really in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and it concludes in John 17 with Jesus praying, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But in the timeline of what takes place in John 13, remember what Jesus did with the disciples? Remember what his object lesson was we talked about last week? He washed the disciples' feet. And if you have your bulletin, I want you to look at the quote that Nathan gave us last week. And we're going to kind of jump from here this morning. But this quote was based on John 13. And what Nathan said is this, How I love other Christians changes the world. How I love other Christians changes the world. I want to add a little bit of a statement to that. That maybe is a little more uh, for us specifically as a church. For Hallmark this morning. Here's what it says. How we, or how Hallmark, love each other changes the world. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe that? Because that's exactly what Jesus said, isn't it? Let's read that again, and I'm going to have it up on the screen for you. I know you're in Matthew 26, but let me read the two verses that Nathan read for us last week that this quote he quoted came from. Verse 34, it's up here on the screen. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, this is Jesus talking to disciples after he's illustrated what it means to serve one another by washing their feet. Verse 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples. By this. What does that mean, by this? And then he answers it. If, if you have what? Love. If you have love for one another. And again, the context really is the disciples, the church. So what Jesus is saying is that as the outside looks at Hallmark, how we love one another, how we serve one another, has the potential to change the world. If that is true, which we've all been in agreement that is true, then also we have to think from the other side of that. Is it possible that as the world looks at our church or a church, any church, 
could they also get a distorted view of who Jesus is? If they see that we don't love one another, it's going to paint a sad picture, isn't it? And that's why it's so important for us to love one another. Because the way we hallmark love each other has the potential to change the world. I don't know about you, but I want to make a difference in this world. We start a new year. How many of you set some new goals? All right. How many of you are tired of setting goals, right? How many of you said, uh, ditto to last year, I'll start over. Try again, right? I hope one of our goals as a church is to make a difference in the world. To make a difference in our community. To make a difference in even this church, in the four walls of this church. And so in the context of Jesus in in John chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet, and he says, Love one another as I have loved you. That's a new commandment I am giving you. And as you love one another, the outside world will see the love you have for each other, for a place in this church. If people see that this church loves and serves one another well, and makes a decision that we're we're not going to worry about little things, we're going to worry about loving and serving one another, then people, the outside, will know who Jesus is. Do you want people to know who Jesus is? I hope so. But the reality is our actions speak louder than our words. So how we love. So Jesus in John 13 tells them this. Later we're going to get to John 17 and Jesus prays a specific prayer that we're going to get to. But in this timeline of sitting in the upper room, celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 26, institutes the Lord's Supper. So let's read Matthew 26, verses 26 uh, through 30. All right, Matthew 26, and we're going to begin reading in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Paul would add in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is broken for you. Here we are in verse 27. Then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and gave to them saying, Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So you get the picture here. They're they're celebrating Passover. They're having a meal. Jesus already taught about serving one another and loving one another. He's illustrated it by washing the disciples' feet. And here now he is telling them, as, as he looks at the table, he sees the bread, he sees the cup, and he uses it as a point to transition from celebrating Passover to now celebrating communion or the Lord's table. And so he says, take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is a representation of my shed blood. And the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why Jesus come. And I think we could spend a lot of time unpacking this, because there's a lot of information. But, But in your bulletin, there's just four statements. Four statements that kind of unpack what's taking place as they celebrate Passover. Now Jesus is instituting communion, or the Lord's table, which we're about to partake of. So here's the four statements. Look on your bulletin. It says this. The Passover looked back at the freedom from slavery marked by the blood of the Lamb. So the Passover was looking back at what took place. Remember in Egypt. Remember they placed the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost. When the angel came to that house and saw the blood, the angel would now pass over. And so there was freedom from slavery 
there was freedom from death by the blood. And Passover celebrated that event. It looked back. The next statement, Passover looked ahead to the Lamb of God who would free us from sin and deliver us from death. So when they looked back and celebrated what took place, they also always looked forward and anticipated the real Lamb of God coming to take away the sins of the world. So Passover was always looking back, celebrating, but also always looking forward, anticipating. The next statement here is we transition from Passover to communion or the Lord's table. It says the Lord's table looks back at our freedom from sin purchased by the blood of the Lamb. So today, as we partake of the bread and the cup, what is this signifying? What is it symbolizing? It's looking back and celebrating that Jesus died for us. Are you thankful for the gift of Jesus? Are you thankful that as he stood before Pilate, one of my favorite passages of scripture, and Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know that I have authority to take your life? You know what Jesus' response was? The only authority you have is what my Father has given to you. In other words, Pilate, you think you're in charge? No. Jesus would say, no one takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. Jesus could have called all the angels to take him off of that cross. But he chose not to. Why? Because he was paying your debt. He was paying for your sin. Let's look at the fourth statement then. The fourth statement says this. The Lord's table looks ahead for Christ's return. Did you catch what he said in Matthew chapter 26 there? He said, I'm not going to drink of the cup until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, we're going to meet again. Christ is coming back. Christ is going to return, and Christ is going to rapture the church to meet with him, and what the Scripture says, to be with him forever. The Sandlot reference there if you're catching it, okay? So, the Lord's table is a reminder to look back and celebrate as well as to look forward and anticipate. Are you excited that Jesus is coming back someday? How many of you just like it to be today. Could it be today? It could be. It could be today. So here's the question. Are you ready for him to come back? So we're going to observe the Lord's table in a moment, and, and who is supposed to do this? You see, if it's, if it's uh, celebrating the cross, and it's anticipating his return, who can celebrate the cross? It's people who follow Jesus. Who can anticipate his return? The people who follow Jesus. So who's supposed to partake of communion? Who's supposed to partake? It's those who've given their life to Jesus. So maybe this morning you've never given your life to Jesus. And can I tell you something? It's really hard for a non-believer to celebrate the cross. And it's even much more difficult for a non-believer to anticipate Christ's return. But here's the good news. You, you can do it right now. You know how simple it is to give your life to Christ? You know how simple it is to say, I follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. It's very simple. Admit that I'm a sinner. Some of us, that's pretty easy to admit, right? We mess up all the time. So I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me. What did Romans tell us? God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to admit I'm a sinner. 
I'm going to believe that Jesus died for me. And see, I'm going to confess my sins. And I'm going to confess my faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes, whoever believes in Jesus should not perish, but have everlasting life. So maybe this morning you've never given your life to Christ. Can I tell you, you can do it right now at your seat. Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died for you. Confess your sins and your faith in Jesus. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 also gives a warning for this moment. So who's supposed to partake? It's those who are followers of Jesus. But Paul then also says that before we partake of the table, we should examine our life. Similar to what David prayed, Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And so this morning before we partake, I'm going to ask Ben to just play a little bit this morning on my piano. And I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And as you're seated there in the spirit of prayer, I want you to begin to reflect on the cross. And I want you to begin to, to grasp how deep the Father's love for me. That he would willingly lay his life on a cross to pay the penalty of my sin debt. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, what I want you to take the next minute or so to do, and I want you just to pray, and I want you to seek the Lord, and I want you to pray the prayer of David. Lord, is there sin in my life? Is there attitudes that I need to confess? Are there actions that I need to confess? And just take a moment where you're at with the Lord. Examine your life. Prepare your heart to remember the gift of Jesus. Maybe this morning, this could be the moment that you take the steps that I've given you. Admit you're a sinner. Right there at your seat. You talk to God and say, God, I know, I know I've messed up. I know I've fallen short. You talk to God and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus hung on the cross so I could have freedom. And you, right where you're at, you would confess to the Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I confess that Jesus is the only way to God. I'm going to ask you right now to do that at your seat. If you, if you make that decision today, before you leave, do me a favor. As Stacy already alluded to, there's a connect card in the back of your seat there. Would you take it out? Would you fill it out? And then on the back, just say, I gave my life to Jesus today. Drop it in the offering at the close of the service. We just want to celebrate with you the decision you've made. I want to ask our deacons and trustees if you would take your place and prepare for communion. And as they do, would you pray with me this morning? God, we come before you today. We're humble today that we have an opportunity together with our faith family, with our faith community to just say thank you. Lord, that as we partake of the bread and the cup, the symbol of your body and the symbol of your blood, that we would celebrate the cross and we would celebrate the risen Savior. And Lord, it would also be a reminder today to anticipate that one day you will call all believers into your presence. So Lord, we take this moment in a spirit of worship, 
a spirit of celebration and a spirit of anticipation. We thank you today for Jesus. Now this morning, I'm going to ask uh, the deacons and trustees that are going to be serving the stadium seating. You guys can go ahead and begin serving the stadium seating. Those of you who are seated in the stadium seating, they're going to pass the elements to you and down your row. And uh, be sure and take both the, the bread and the cup as it passes by. And then hold on to that until we will all partake of that together. Uh, those of you that are seated on the floor here on the wings, okay, they're going to dismiss you in a moment by row. They're going to dismiss you down the center of your aisle, and you're going to come get your element again, get the bread and the cup, and then if you'll return to your seat using the outer aisle of your section. When you get back to your seat, please have a seat. You can continue worshiping through song. If you just want to pray where you're seated, feel free to do that as well, and we'll partake at the end. Those of you in the center, okay, Sergio here is going to dismiss those of you in the front half to come down the center aisle. You will also return your seat on the outer aisle and then Mike back there is going to dismiss the second half of you to go to the back also out the center aisle and you'll return back the outer aisle again I, I pray that as you sit there this morning that you allow yourself to feel the emotion that should come with this what we're, what we're observing today, as Jesus said, is his death. That he willingly died in my place. And I don't know about you, but that, that brings emotions to my life. That anyone would lay their life down for me. But he wasn't just anyone. He's the Son of God, the Creator, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He willingly died for me. I mean, if you want to go ahead and begin uh, dismissing those rows.
God, we come before you today, Lord, and we, Lord, we're grateful today for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to just pause as we begin the new year and to be grateful for a Savior who willingly laid his life down for us. Lord, I pray this year that as we begin this year, Lord, that we would focus on Jesus. We would be grateful and that, Lord, as we are grateful, it would remind us to, to share the gift of Christ. Lord, again, we are humbled that the creator of the universe would humble himself, become obedient to death, even death on the cross. I'm going to ask you to grab your bread and you may partake of the bread. You may now drink of the cup. Are you grateful for Jesus? You know, as I mentioned already, would you stand with me as we're going to continue in worship? But as I mentioned already, it wasn't just enough that he died. If, if we celebrate just a cross, what Paul said is we're pitiful. If it weren't for the resurrection, there'd be no point to be here. So we celebrate the death of Christ and the resurrection. But because he lives, we anticipate that he's going to return. Do you believe Jesus is alive? Is that worth celebrating this morning? Let's continue worshiping today. Morgan? Let's sing Because He Lives. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He
God is good and all the time. Thank you, maybe seated this morning. And wow, what a what a powerful song. You know, the, the older I get, the more I realize how faithful God really is. You just sang those songs, those words, all my life, you have been faithful. Have you found God to be faithful? And I love the fact that we as a church this morning. Can just cry out to a risen Savior. Aren't those words powerful? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I can face anything. Amen. What did the psalmist say in Psalms 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. Why? For thou art with me. Do you believe God is here today? Amen. Do you believe God is worthy of your worship? Amen. Do you believe he's worthy of your time? Do you believe he's worthy of your effort? Amen. We're getting quieter and quieter. <laughs> Do you believe he's worthy of your money? Amen. Is he worthy of everything? Amen. He is, isn't he? Turn with me to John 17. And as Jesus concludes the teaching in the upper room, and they've just had communion like we've just had communion, and Jesus has told them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be shed 
for you. And as he taught them that we would look back on the cross and we would celebrate, that we would also look forward to the day and anticipate the day that he would return. And as they had this intimate conversation, and, and I would encourage you this week and, and maybe all year just to read through that conversation Jesus had, starting in John 13 and beginning with the object lesson of washing the disciples' feet, the command that you would love others as Christ loved the church, the understanding the reality that as we love one another, as we as a church love and serve one another, we have the potential to change the world. And so after Jesus does all this teaching, in John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John 15, he would say, abide in me. Because without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. And as he prepares the disciples for his crucifixion, the resurrection, and his ascension, they're about to head out to the Mount of Olives. They're about to head to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays, and he, he prays with an anguished spirit before the Lord. Lord, if there's any other way, if there was another way to redeem mankind, if there was another way to pay the penalty of sin, and then how did he conclude that prayer in the Garden? Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will. And he surrendered himself to the will of God, and he humbly willingly laid his life down. Before they would go out to the garden, Jesus would pray over his disciples. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room with Jesus when he prayed? There was something different about the way he prayed. You see, when the disciples heard him pray, it was the one thing they asked Jesus to teach him to do. Because there was something different about his prayer. There was something different about how he spoke to God. There was something different about how he interacted and had a conversation with the Lord. But in this conversation, I'm thankful this morning that even though we're not, we weren't sitting in the room with Jesus, we have the words of his prayer right here. In the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 5, Jesus, there in the upper room, there as they're about to leave and go to the garden, and Jesus knows what's about to take place, and he prays there in verses 1 through 5 for himself. God, I want to I glorify you with my life. Because of that prayer, I want to glorify you with my life. He could then in the garden say, not my will, but your will be done. Do you understand that when Jesus prays, God, I want my life to glorify you. In order for my life to glorify God, you know what I'm going to have to be willing to say? The exact same thing Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to be really transparent with you today. That's hard for me. I kind of like things the way I like things. Can I get an amen? But if my life is going to glorify God, I have to come to the point to say, it's not about me. It's about you. So Jesus prays, God, I want my life to glorify you. Then the following verses, like 6 through 19, he prays for the disciples, and he prays that God would give them courage. He prays that God would give them strength. He prays that God would not remove them from the world, but that they would make a difference in the world. But the part I really want to look at this morning is verse number 20 and following. You see, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for the disciples, the ones who are in the room. But then he also prays for you this morning. Do you, do you understand that Jesus prays for you in this moment as they, they've just had communion, they're about to go to the garden. Jesus pauses for a moment, and he prays for the church. 
He prays for us. He prays for you. And, and I think if Jesus is praying for me, do you think it's, it might be a little bit important to know what he prays? Do you think what he prays might have some value to understand? So John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus praying for us. And what does he pray? Verse 20 I do not pray for these alone, and and here's where he transitions. I'm not just praying for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, how do we know of Jesus? It's because of the word of the disciples. It's because the disciples went out, as Jesus told them, and said, you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And because they obeyed the commission of God and the command of God to make disciples who make disciples, now Jesus prays for us. What does he pray? Verse 21, that they all may be, what's the word? One. That they may all be one. And that, a couple months ago, was a, this uh, passage just kept playing over and over in my mind. That they would be one, that they would be one, that they would be one. And God really challenged me personally for us as a church, that we as a church, if this is the prayer of Jesus, that his church would be one. Do you think it's important that we be one? Do you think it's important that we are unified? Do you think it's important that we come together as a group and say, not my will, but his will be done? If God is going to glorify himself in this church and through this church, we must, what Jesus is praying, that we would be one. But that's going to take some sacrifice, isn't it? It's going to take me personally saying that the purpose of God is more important than my preferences. Well, let's keep reading this prayer. So Jesus says in verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be, again, the word, one, in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and that the glory which you have... Uh, you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Do you, do you see a theme coming out of these verses? God wants us to be what? One. And that they would know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, I as many of you already know, I've been challenging you to, we want to spend the first 40 days in prayer and fasting. What are we praying and fasting for? It's, it's the prayer of Jesus. That we, as a church, would be one. That we, as a church, would be in unity. That we, as a church, would be focused on the purpose. That we, as a church, would be exactly what Jesus is praying for. And I have to understand that if Jesus thought that it was this important to pray about it, and over and over in these few verses to say that they would be one as you and I are one, that they would be one as you and I are one, Jesus understood this was going to be difficult. If this was going to come naturally, that we would all be in every church all over the world, that we would all come together in unity, if that was going to come naturally, if that was going to be easy, I'm not sure Jesus would have spent much time praying about it. So he prays, would they be one? My challenge for us as a church is that we would pray the same prayer. Lord, help us as a church. Help me as an individual to live in unity with other believers because as I love others, I have the potential to change the world. As you love and serve others, we have the potential 
to change the world. And Jesus has two things in here that I want to point out that are the reasons why he's asking us to pray. Why would he pray for unity? What's the reason behind it? What's the why behind the prayer? Let's look at that. Let's look back at verse number 21 again. All right, verse number 21 says this, that they all may be one. I lost my place. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be one in us. Look on the screen. So here's the why. Here's the first why behind the prayer. That the world may what? Believe. Believe that you sent me. The reason that I would be willing to forgo some of my will to God's will, the reason that I would pray, the reason Jesus is praying that we as a church would be one, is so that the world would believe. Sounds pretty familiar to what he said in John chapter 13, wasn't it? They will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. You mean that as a church is unified around the mission and the purpose of God? You mean that will affect people outside of the church? Is, is that what this is saying? Isn't, isn't that the goal? Yes or no? Yeah. It is. So the first reason that we're praying as a church that we would be one is the same reason that Jesus is praying that we'd be one is that people would believe. Look at verse number 23. Verse number 23 then gives us the second reason. In, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and, so here we go, here's the second reason, that the world may what? Know. What does Jesus want them to know? That you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You see, God wants us to live in unity together, to love one another, to serve one another, so that the world would believe in Jesus and that they would know that God loves them. Are those two things important enough to want to live in unity? Yes or no? Sounds familiar to another verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever what? Believes. Why is it important for us to spend 40 days fasting and praying so that the world would believe that Jesus is alive and that God loves them. That's the most, two most important things anybody could know. And shame on me for letting other things distract me from that. We want to be one as God and Jesus are one so that people would know and people would believe. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. On your bulletin this morning is a line for you to sign. And here's what it says. I want you to sign this if you'll make this commitment, that you'll pray for Hallmark to be one, so that the world will believe Jesus is who he says he is. What I want you to do this morning is, if, if that's what you're willing to do, that you would sign that bulletin and that you would take that bulletin home and you would put it somewhere that you noticed it. For some of us, that may be the refrigerator. Maybe it's your mirror. 
Maybe it's the dash in your car. But that we would make a commitment to be one. I just want to give you a second right where you're at. Would you pray that prayer to the Lord right now? God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to commit to be one. To pray that we as a church would be one. So that the world would know and the world would believe. All right, now I want you to look up at me because I want to give you another why behind this. Why is it so important? We understand why Jesus was praying is that the world would know and the world would believe. Do you realize that in this community where our church is, there's thousands of people that don't know Jesus? Do you care about those thousands of people that don't know Jesus? I'm thankful for our Carlos, our youth pastor, and Allison, our children's director, because you know, when I was a youth pastor at church many years ago, I used to go to the high school all the time. And then I got kicked out of the high school because they didn't want any. They, they basically told me, if we let you Christians come in, we have to let everyone else come in. And they kicked us out. Now, the principals of all these schools are calling Carlos and Allison, asking them to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for that. And so every week, there's a few of us that go over to one of the local elementary schools, and we, we are a part of the program called Read to Win. About a month ago, I was sitting there reading to my first grader. Well, we had just sat down and kind of reconnecting, you know, as it's been a week since I've seen him. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, how was your week? That kind of stuff. Whatever conversation you had with a first grader. And then across the table, Allison is sitting with her student doing the same thing. And I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that listens to all the conversations around me to the detriment of the conversation I'm trying to have. And so I'm listening, and, and uh, I catch a little bit of what's taking place, and I do notice that Allison is just bawling, which isn't that strange. It's kind of normal for her, but <laughs> she's upset. So we finish the reading program, uh, have our next students come in, and then as we're walking out of the school, I ask Allison, what, what was that girl telling you? I noticed that, you know, you were emotional about it. And Allison said, you know, I just noticed that this first grader had her socks didn't match. And, and I don't know if you're aware, but that's kind of a thing for girls right now that they do. And so Allison was like, oh, I like how you mix match your socks today, just as a compliment. And then the girl just matter-of-factly says, well, do you want to know why my socks don't match? Sure. And here's what the girl said. Well, today my Spanish dad showed up and was yelling and hitting on us. He ripped my necklace off this morning and threw it down the drain. And I really wish I could get the necklace back because it's the birthstone of my sister who already died. And I really wish I could get one for my mom because she was really upset about it. And then it got so loud and things were happening that we called the police. And when the police showed up, I just had to hurry and run out of the house and I just grabbed the socks that were closest to me. And I thought, her morning was way different than my morning. But you know that our community is filled with little girls just like her? You know what that girl needs? Jesus. Do you know what her parents need? Jesus. 
Do you believe that there's thousands of people around this church that need Jesus? Do you want them to know Jesus? Then would you be willing to pray, God, would this church live in unity so that those who don't know Jesus would believe and they would know? Is it worth it to pray that? Are you willing to pray that? If you're willing to make that commitment and pray, I'm just going to ask you to get out of your seat and come stand down here. Right now. Just come stand here at the front. I want to pray over us. And I know some of you aren't able to come and walk forward, and that's fine. If you want to stand where you're at, and that's easier for you, that's, that's great. Let's just spread out, though. Make room for everybody that's coming. If you want to stand on the stairs, feel free to do that. So the question this morning really is this. Do we believe as a church that there's thousands of people right in our neighborhood that need Jesus? Do you believe that, yes or no? Do you want them to know Jesus? Are you willing to sacrifice for them to know Jesus? I hope so. Because if not, what's the point of meeting every week? If we're just here to feel good about something, hear the song we like, it's, it's of no value. People need Jesus, and they're not going to know him unless we act like him. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you today. Forgive us, Lord, for our pettiness. Lord, we're all guilty of it. There's no one standing here that's not guilty of being apathetic, of being petty, of being selfish. Lord, I'm at the top of that list. We're all guilty. Forgive us. Lord, there are people in our community that are far from Jesus. Lord, we want to live a life in such unity of purpose and focus that people who don't know Jesus would find him. They would believe and that they would know. I'm going to ask you, as Ben begins to lead us in a song, if you want to stay in worship and, and pray where you're at, as long as you want, or you can go back to your seat. But let's let's just worship through music this today. Let's let's think of the words of this song. Is, is Jesus worth it? Would you sing?